Spherical Cow Hello there and welcome back to Spherical Cow. After Mamie's wonderful episode last week on dark matter, today we're going to be moving on to dark energy. So, without further ado, Nana, take it away. Thanks, Olivia. Um, so, just to kind of, um, we're going to like set the scene, I'm going to talk about some evidence for dark energy and then I'll talk a little bit about some candidates for dark energy. So, um, if, we go, if we go back to the beginning of the universe, around, but around 380,000 years after the Big Bang, at that point, the universe had cooled enough for protons and electrons to um, form atoms because before then they were moving out way too quickly to kind of come together and form atoms but when you reach this point of around 380,000 years after the Big Bang the universe was cool enough for them to um, interact and attract each other and form atoms and because now we've got neutral atoms rather than this like this sea or this soup of charged particles just like floating around um, that means that photons are no longer being constantly exchanged because photons are the force carrier of the um, electromagnetic force so um, and we've mentioned like photons of light so you get you get photons of all different frequencies all different wavelengths but these photons are always exchanged between between electrically charged particles that's how they interact with each other that's how a proton repels another proton it's through the exchange of a photon so when we just had this big soup of electrically charged particles those photons were being constantly exchanged and um, basically they were trapped in that sea of charged particles but 380,000 years after the Big Bang when those protons and electrons um, came together to and combined to form um, neutral atoms now we haven't got lots of electrically charged particles which means that photons aren't being constantly exchanged which means that photons can be emitted so that's when the first light of the universe was finally emitted and actually because the universe is expanding that light has been stretching over over time and getting um, longer and longer in wavelength and Olivia I'm guessing you know what I'm talking about what is this radiation nowadays observed as cosmic microwave background radiation <laughs> yeah exactly cosmic microwave background radiation because the wavelength of the light is now observed in the microwave region um, and actually, when scientists study like the um, the CMBR, the cosmic microwave background radiation, they study like all the tiny fluctuations in the in the radiation. You can actually like learn lots of really interesting things about the universe. So one of the things that you can tell from those fluctuations um, is that the universe must be flat. And so what I mean by flat is um, there's kind of like three different ideas about the shape or the geometry of the universe. So the universe could be flat, the universe could be um, open or the universe could be closed. So a closed universe would be something like a sphere, like the globe, like the earth. Whereas an open universe would be something like the shape of a saddle, where it's kind of like curved in a slightly different way. Um, so there, there are those three different possibilities and so there's this critical density, this critical um, value that if the total mass and energy density of the universe is equal to this critical value, the universe will be flat. If it's greater than that, then the universe will be closed. And if it's smaller than that, the universe would be open. Okay. Um, and from studying this um, CMBR, scientists found that the universe was in fact flat, um, which tells us that the total energy, the total mass density, sorry, in the universe, so that's 
all mass and all energy we're talking about mass and energy here all of that must equal that critical value mm-hmm. um and other observations of the the cmbr can also tell you that five percent of all the mass and energy in the universe must be normal matter and 26 percent of all the mass and energy in the universe must be dark matter so that means we've only accounted for 31 percent of all the mass and energy in the universe so it's a bit like hang on what's that other 69 percent mm. and that's where um scientists brought in dark matter i'm um, sorry dark energy um to comprise that remaining 69 percent um and even more evidence um you can find even more evidence for dark energy from um observing type 1a supernova um so type 1a supernova are formed in binary systems of stars so you've got like um you've got a white dwarf maybe so that's like a a star that has come to the end of its lifetime a star similar to the mass of the sun um it's stopped producing um nuclear fusion so that means it's kind of compacted under its own gravity and formed this dense core called a white dwarf Um, but if that white dwarf is in a binary system with another star um, maybe similar to the mass of the sun when that other star gets to its red giant phase where it's like expanded outwards and now it's quite big it's really massive some of that mass can get like sucked off the the red giant and onto the white dwarf okay um so by sucking that mass onto the white dwarf, you're increasing the mass of the white dwarf, which means that the gravitational pull, pulling everything inwards into the white dwarf, is going to be even stronger and stronger, and it's going to get stronger and stronger until that electron degeneracy pressure, if you remember we talked about like a long, a long time ago, which is preventing the star from collapsing, that is not no longer enough to prevent the white dwarf to collapse in on itself because it's it's got like mass transferred from the other star in the binary star system. And that's there's like this critical, this value, I think it's a 1.4 uh, masses, um, sorry, 1.4 times the mass of the sun. When the white dwarf reaches that limit, electron degeneracy pressure is no longer like um, strong enough to prevent the star from collapsing. So it collapses inwards and then it, it like explodes outwards, and that's what a type one A supernova is. And um, because type one supernova are always all triggered at like that same value, that means that the light they emit um, is like very similar. And so because all type 1a supernova have the same brightness the same intrinsic brightness if one looks dimmer than another one you know it must be because it's further away so by using that like comparison between how bright it appears and how bright we know it actually should be you can figure out how far away that supernova is from us and you can also look at the light from that distant supernova and that light will be redshifted. By redshifted, I mean its wavelength is going to be stretched and longer, and um, longer wavelength means it gets shifted towards the red end of the spectrum. So that light is going to be stretched because as it's travelling towards us, the universe is expanding. And by using the amount by which it's like been stretched, that's equal to the expansion of the universe, like the factor by which the universe has been expanding. So basically, combining all of those measurements together, like the distance to the supernova, like um, you can figure out like when that would have when that light would have been emitted and all those measurements together you can figure out kind of the expansion history of the universe you can track um how much it should have expanded in a certain amount of time and like the rate essentially you can find the rate of expansion of the universe so 
scientists were thinking that the rate of expansion of the universe should be um, slowing down because they thought, well, gravity is trying to pull everything inwards. But actually, they found that the expansion of the universe was accelerating, which was like so unexpected. They were like, what is going on? And <laughs> yes. this is where dark energy comes in again, because dark energy could be the like the energy that's pushing everything outwards, allowing um, the expansion of the universe to be accelerating. So that's some evidence for dark energy, which I thought is really cool again, like using cosmology to look at the stars. And I think it's yeah. all really cool. I think I've also heard that that, um, type, that type 1A supernova that you were talking about only occurs in a galaxy like one or once or twice every thousand years. But because there's so many galaxies around us, um, there's enough of those supernovas like happening right now or like that we can see right now to allow us to, you know, map the rate of the expansion of the universe and allow us to understand that it's accelerating, which is so bonkers because why? But dark energy, that's why. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I think I think I've seen that as well. There's not I don't think there's many like supernova in a galaxy, but obviously because we have so many galaxies, there's enough for us to like get this data. But yeah, that's really interesting. Thanks, Olivia. Um, so now that we've talked a bit about some evidence for dark energy, um, we'll quickly talk about some candidates for dark energy. Um, and now I'll admit, I think the dark energy candidates are a little more confusing, but I'll do my best to try and explain what's going on. Um, so one really popular idea of what dark energy could be is to do with um, this thing called the cosmological constant, with Einstein, which Einstein actually introduced all the way back in like 1915. Um, so Einstein's equations of general relativity um, predicted that the universe should be um, expanding. It should be non-static. It, it would be like either expanding or contracting. And Einstein did not like that because at the time, nobody knew that the universe was expanding. They thought we were in a static universe. So in order to make sure his equations of general relativity predicted a static universe, Einstein added this cosmological constant to his equation. So it didn't alter um, kind of, it didn't change anything except um, making sure that the universe would be steady state, it would be static. Um, so because at the time the popular opinion was that the universe was um, not expanding or not contracting. So Einstein added this extra constant to his equations to make sure that was um, that was like upheld mm -hmm. um, but in the 1920s Edwin Hubble he made some observations of um, like distant galaxies and found that the the light from them was being stretched and it that was kind of proportional to the distance they were away from us um, so that evidence showed that the universe was in fact expanding so Einstein was like oh no and he actually called his cosmological constant his biggest blunder because oh. he had been so sure that the universe was um not expanding but then hubble showed that it was expanding and so he was like he was really like sad about that constant he called yeah he called it his biggest blunder he i think he felt quite ashamed i guess but in interestingly even though einstein was wrong we actually use the same idea of a cosmological constant today as one of the possible explanations for dark energy which i think is pretty cool even though it kind of failed it's now being like repurposed Re yeah repurposed yeah. exactly so whilst einstein's cosmological constant like suggested that this force pushing pushing everything outwards would perfectly um would perfectly balance the force of gravity pulling everything inwards so that the universe would stay like where it is it wouldn't be expanding um dark energy we know is pushing everything outwards so it's even stronger than gravity pulling everything inwards um but basically this cosmological constant um suggests that energy 
um, sorry, that empty space has energy itself. Um, so what that means is that when more space kind of comes into existence as the universe is expanding, dark energy increases. And because the amount of dark energy is increasing, but the volume of the universe is also increasing, the dark energy density of the universe stays constant. Whereas the matter density, the mass and... Um, like the dark matter and the normal matter, that density decreases because you're not producing any more matter. It's the, like the matter in the universe is kind of roughly the same over time. So if the universe expands, that's going to decrease the mass density of the universe. And because of that, sorry. Yeah, you? yeah, yeah. Just to clarify. So when we talk about the universe expanding, we don't actually mean that the universe is expanding into something else. It's not growing to fill a space. It's, it's an intrinsic expansion, right? Whereas whereby like the scale of, of, of space itself stretches, space yeah. itself grows, whereas the matter... I think everyone always uses an analogy of like, uh, what is it, like a raisin cookie, and if you put it <laughs> into the oven, the, ra the raisin cookie will like grow as it, as it gets cooked, and like the dough itself stretches, but the, the raisins obviously say the same thing. So as you were saying, like there's space, the amount of space in the universe is increasing, whereas kind of like the amount of matter isn't. Yes, exactly. That's a perfect way of putting it. Yeah. Um, so the mass and the, the matter in the universe is not increasing, but space is. So that means the matter density is decreasing. Um, so because dark energy, the density of dark energy is staying roughly the same, according to this cosmological constant theory, but matter density is decreasing. That's what allows the expansion of the universe to accelerate because dark energy becomes dominant. Um, and so that's one idea about dark energy, that it could be explained by a cosmological constant. Um, but there's actually like a kind of a problem with this idea. Um, one of the ideas for this source of energy, like where this energy of empty space comes from, is to do with like, it's a bit confusing, I think it's, it's to do with quantum mechanics about virtual particles like popping into existence and then like annihilating each other. And then like they just keep popping into and out of existence. <laughs> and that kind of generates this sort of energy of empty space. But when um, scientists do calculations of how much that energy should be according to quantum mechanics it comes out 10 to the 120 times bigger than the the value of dark energy observed so that's Whoa. really really off <laughs> the calculation yeah. is like pretty off the observation but i think there are some theories trying to figure out if there's a way for that energy of empty space to be negated by another fact so mm. we get the amount that we observe yeah. but other people think that dark matter sorry, dark energy could be explained by something called quintessence. So quintessence is like a force field. It generates dark um, dark energy. Um, but unlike the cosmological constant, which by its name has like a constant dark energy density, quintessence is like a dynamic field. It's always changing, always evolving, which means that it could sometimes produce dark energy, sometimes not produce dark energy. So that means that the dark energy density of the universe wouldn't be constant and it would kind of be changing over time, like slightly decreasing but not decreasing as much as dark um the not as much as the matter density of the universe so that's another idea that um maybe the dark energy density of our universe isn't actually constant and those are basically two of the main theories too um which are like exploring the nature of dark energy but there's still so much we don't know <laughs> like we still don't know what dark matter is exactly we still don't know what dark energy is exactly but i think it's just so cool that we've come so far like i find it so interesting where you where the theory actually started like what evidence like mm. um 
came about in order for them to like think of this like really wacky things like dark matter and dark energy so they've made so many like groundbreaking discoveries but there's still so much we don't know and I think that's just super exciting what what do you think it is really exciting like that whole journey of where it all started and I don't know I find that idea of Einstein's biggest blunder as he calls it really interesting how you know he created something because um he wanted to make sure that what he knew about the universe at that time was consistent with his equations. And then it turned out that what he knew about the universe at the time wasn't true. And then how that kind of repurposed that cosmological constant to explain perhaps one theory uses it to explain dark energy. I just think that whole process of discovery and and research is just really exciting. Yeah, I agree. It's, it's really cool. Like, even though Einstein kind of failed... I don't know, his his failure wasn't a complete failure because we actually use it today and I think that's probably true about lots of different areas of science. Sometimes maybe you like come back to something later because you realise, oh, actually mm-hmm. it could fit what I'm trying to do today. But yeah, I, th- I think the whole thing is like really fascinating, as you said. Yeah. Well, I think that's the end of our look into matter and energy. We hope you've enjoyed these last few episodes about antimatter, dark matter and dark energy. Oh, and the extra particle physics one squeezed in the middle. <laughs> Goodbye for now. From Spherical Cow. Spherical Cow